Hello and welcome to the Cash Goals Podcast. And we are back. It's it's been a while. <laughs> How are you doing, Scott? Um, I'm all right, thanks, Christopher. How are you doing? I'm I'm very good, thanks. Uh, why why have we been away so long? I haven't come up with a really good excuse. We can't use self isolation because we're at home anyway. We are in our respective uh, recording studios. No, it's just been. I think it's it's just been one of those kinds of times of i'll say times of the year but just been pretty busy and i've also got currently got loads of work going on in the house so you may well hear plenty of drilling so apologies in advance uh, we'll obviously try and cut that out of the podcast um but there we go <laughs> it's character so, building it's fine exactly exactly we both agreed that property and prop you know getting on the property ladder and the process of of buying a property particularly for your first first home it's probably a good place to, to uh, or good area to cover. Yeah, us Brits, we love a house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely do. Well, we definitely love trying to own at least one. Obviously, if you're fortunate, to, fortunate enough to be able to afford to do so, some like to own more than one. But um, we're going to focus on your main residence as opposed to those rentals or holiday homes so to speak and, and understand the nuances of purchasing a property and all the potential pitfalls and, and issues with regards to finally getting your foot on the property ladder if that is indeed the the route that you know our listeners want to go down yes it's almost an obsession isn't it and everyone you talk to assumes that it's absolutely mandatory that if you don't get on the property ladder as quick as you can then you're failing at life but that's not necessarily true, is it? No, no. It, it, you know, as we we know, like we talked about in the UK, it is kind of the the culture that we live in, whereby, as you said, the success is typically judged, or one part is judged on you owning a home and you know the the size of the home you own, if you like. But if you look across, you know, continental Europe, anyway, certain countries like Germany and France their preference is more or there is a far higher proportion of individuals and couples and families renting uh, for their main residence as opposed to uh, as opposed to purchasing like we typically see here okay so why don't we why don't we look at chris what the pros and cons are to buying your own home as opposed to say renting okay yeah let's do that what do you want first pros or cons well, let's look at the positives because we're talking about the the route of buying a house. We should probably talk about why it is potentially a good idea to do so. Okay. Well, the the obvious would be the money that you pay each month on your mortgage compared to rent is actually buying you a little bit more house every month. So you get that money back at the end when you sell the house compared to just filling your landlord's pockets. So that's got to be the obvious one right yeah yeah definitely yeah and most people would like to hope that you own it long enough 
that the value is going to go up in time so you not only get the money that you've paid on your mortgage you're going to get a little bit extra as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The- i guess that although we want to do focus solely on solely on pros at this point chris it that probably neatly ties in with one of the p- potential cons right in terms of the mortgage and therefore interest rates and the interest you have to pay on said mortgage repayments okay we're going there are we we're going to model them up <laughs> it's fine <laughs> let's just get them all out in the open get it all done and then we can leave it there right come on then so what did you just say mortgage interest payments yes thanks for listening sitting here today mortgage interest rates look pretty cheap right they haven't really looked cheaper for well longer than i can remember yeah um so on the face of it everything looks nice and affordable but it's not necessarily a case that if more if interest rates go up by say one percent your monthly payment's going to go up by one percent it doesn't quite work like that so we need to be aware of the changes that interest rates can have because they're i mean they might go down a little bit but generally speaking longer term the only way is is most likely going to be up isn't it mm-hmm. now if someone had a two hundred thousand pound mortgage over 25 year term and the interest rate today was two percent on their mortgage that's 847 pounds a month they're going to be paying Mm-hmm. So if you budget that in and think, well, I could do that. I could maybe squeeze to 900, you know, so we've got a bit of wiggle room there. Interest rates go up by 1% to 3%. And that mortgage payment goes from 847, jumps right up to 948. So that 1% increase is a significant jump in your monthly cost. Yeah. So it's being aware of those things. And I hear that your stepdad has now started drilling. <laughs> Yes, sorry about that. Uh, the benefits of having a studio in your home and not in a soundproofed room. Never mind. Um, we'll cut it out. We'll cut it out. Um, that's a good point. In fact, one of the things I always notice when I have um, so I have a, a mortgage uh, calculator app, which like does the maths for you, Chris, instead of you probably sitting there manually with your fingers and toes uh, but one of the things it does say is <laughs> it shows you what the repayment is today but then it says oh be careful if interest rates go to 12 percent, this will be your cost now the 12 percent from today is probably quite uh, ambitious or uh, over the top but the the point is is understanding that the, a change in interest rates in you know in the future which we would expect at some point for them to increase will have um, some you know significant or somewhat or a significant impact on the repayments to uh, for your mortgage. So it's just something to bear in mind. We'll come on to the potential changes in due course because one of the things that the um, mortgage provider will do is assess your affordability in in certain scenarios that would see an interest rate rise. But we'll come on to that um, later on in the show. But yeah. obviously that is certainly that is certainly a con in terms of the potential increases in charges that or in interest rates because if interest rates change when you're renting that doesn't necessarily have a direct impact on your rent you're generally going to fix that for a, a period now it might be that mortgage costs go up for the landlord so he might try and put the rent up but generally speaking the rental market is going to be more dictated by supply and demand amount of tenants that are willing to pay the rent not interest rates yeah so you shouldn't be quite as impacted so there's a there's a pro in the box i guess for for renting on that one Mm -hmm. 
Now, another con, going back to back to cons for buying a house, is that once you've bought it, you might not always be able to sell it when you want to sell it. If you know something happens in the in the property market and either property values take a plummet and you don't want to sell at a big loss, then you might have to wait. There might not be very much demand for properties. Or similarly, you might have a mortgage and the property values dropped and you end up in a position where if you wanted to sell the house, you would then not clear the whole mortgage. And that's something called negative equity, where even when you've sold the house, you're in debt. I see your eyes light up there, Scott. Well, I was thinking, should I get the klaxon out? But you've, I mean, you explained it before I had a chance to uh, to play the jingo. So carry on, sir, carry on. There'll be, there'll be more. There's a chance. <laughs> so negative equity, you don't want that. You don't want to be left with no house and big debt. Again, you're not going to have that with rent. You've got your rental term and then you pay the rent. And when you're done, you're done. You owe nothing as long as you haven't smashed the place up come on chris be a bit more positive what's what's the pro what are some pros of buying a house? oh you did you, we were doing pros first weren't we yeah we did we've chopped and changed but let's talk about what's what's the good thing so obviously you know we're talking about landlords one of the things is you're no longer beholden to a landlord if you're on your own place right yeah well two great things about that if you want to put pictures up if you want to stick an extension on it's it's up to you you can do yeah. what you want to do because it's your house the other thing which you alluded to before about other countries tending to rent a bit more such as germany in this country most tenancies are probably 12 months maximum you don't really have the long-term security as a tenant in a house so if at the end of your six or 12 month term the landlord could just boot you out whereas you across europe it's quite common to have much longer tenancies meaning you can stay there a lot longer the only way you're going to get that security in this country is buying. So that's definitely a tick in the pro box for buying, I think. I think we've covered most of the pros. There are a couple more cons that I did just want to point out. One of them being unexpected additional costs, such as if the boiler breaks and you own the house, that's down to you to pay out for. If it's a rented property, the landlord's got to fix that. Similarly, you know, if your roof springs a leak, that's on the landlord but not if you own it, that's on you. They're the sort of things that you need to factor in if you're going to own a house. And then the other one, which possibly less common, but if you buy a house together, maybe you're in a in a relationship and you each go halves on the house. If that relationship then subsequently breaks up, it can be quite difficult deciding what you're going to do with the property, especially if one of you wants to keep it and the other one just wants their money back. Yeah. So not necessarily the be all and end all but if you were renting in that situation it would be a lot easier you could just end your tenancy you know you're talking maybe a few months rent and then it's done and you can both start again yeah that, so is, I quite, think, that is quite sorry yeah that is quite a, 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 a very valid point it is the unwinding of a property purchase in a relationship that's no longer working is is probably one of the most i say most negative but one of the cons that is most worth taking uh, note of one thing i would say before we carry on i think you've covered most of the pros and cons it seems like there are more cons than pros i would say however that the quantity of those pros is is less but the quality is higher one thing i would say i don't think you've mentioned is uh, now it, it depends on a case-by-case basis but typically the interest payment that you will uh, sorry the mortgage repayment that you'll make 
on a property is probably going to be lower than the equivalent um, rental cost for that same property. That's obviously a, a very generalized uh, uh, assumption because it depends on your loan to value, uh, what interest rate you're paying on the mortgage. Wah, wah, wah. I'm calling you out. Loan to value. Financial jargon of the week. Loan to value. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. So, loan to value is, is effectively looking at what percentage of the value of the property that you own is the mortgage. So, for example... Obviously, this is not, you won't find many properties for this price. But let's say there was a property that was worth a hundred thousand pounds, and you had a mortgage on it of sixty thousand pounds. So you'd put forty thousand pounds down as a deposit, and then you took out a mortgage of sixty thousand pounds. In this scenario, you would have a loan to value of sixty percent. So what that means is sixty percent of the value of that hundred grand is made up from a mortgage lent to you by. Uh, a bank and the other 40% is what you own through that deposit that you've made that all right that's all right but now that I've jammed my size 11s right in the middle of what you were saying I bet you can't remember what you were talking about no totally forgot <laughs> cheers cheers mate um <laughs> I've remembered it was okay Thanks for trying to put me off. I was just talking about the difference or how typically mortgage repayments are um, lower than a rental payment would be for a, a similarly valued and similarly priced house. Which is mad because it used to be that rent was really cheap and then you saved up to buy a house while you were renting. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a fair point. Obviously, back back in the times you're talking of, you were looking at interest rates of, you know, double digits, the 12, 15% interest rates. Mm. And... Um, more uh, rental payments that were as a percentage of the value of the house probably lower so you know times have naturally changed um as has that dichotomy of the comparison of the two but it probably goes on to the point of why we are typically pro purchasing a property so you're not paying more for, to live in the, the house when you are as you are renting compared to when you are uh, owning it with a mortgage Okay, so we want to buy a house. Yeah. What do we need? What do we need first? I mean, you got you got to make an offer. Well, hang on, don't jump the gun. Before you start making offers, you got to know how right. you're going to pay for it. True. Okay, let's go to the let's go to the financial side of things. Okay. Good offer. I want to buy this. Two hundred grand. I got just give, give me seven years. I'll be back. You hold there. Okay. <laughs> right. Well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So a deposit, fair? Yeah, okay. Okay, so how much? Let's, let's do a bit more of a stat attack while we're at it, Chris. So the average deposit placed by a first-time buyer is around 45,000, with the average mortgage for said first-time buyer around 185. So you can see the, the average first-time buyer is typically buying, you know, the average valued house. Uh, so the value of the house is is two hundred thirty grand as an average for a first time buyer, and they're take they're putting a deposit down of uh, just over or sorry just under twenty percent. Why is the deposit important? Although we all like to think that mortgage uh, property prices will uh, increase over years, there is obviously a possibility that they may not do so. So if you um, are lending somebody the full amount for a property. Uh, sorry for bankers and then property 
uh, falls in value and the owner of the home with the mortgage can no longer repay well, as we've mentioned before what in previous episodes what happens is is that the bank has a claim on the property and can take it back but obviously in this scenario if they've take, given them a 100% loan to value so they've given the you know full loan for the value of the property when it was worth x but now it's worth less than that they're not going to be able to recover what they've laid out as the initial uh, as an initial loan in my opinion i think it, it you know, having a deposit and putting a deposit down shows a level of responsibility. Yeah, I think you know if you can show that you've managed to accrue a deposit, and you're if, you're, if I'm a lender and I can see you've you've managed to accrue a deposit and you want a mortgage to go alongside that, I would you know my view is probably that you are fairly sensible because you know what you're doing. But if you just come to me and say I, I want a loan, I want it for the whole amount, I don't, I'm not managed to save any money, then perhaps alarm bells might be ringing more. Yeah, I think that's fair. That would suggest that maybe you're not managing your finances particularly well. So how are you going to cope with a huge commitment like a mortgage? Now, as we know, for especially for first-time buyers at the minute, that 10% target is is difficult for, for the vast majority to be able to achieve. So uh, what we're going to talk about now is what the government have introduced to try and help first-time buyers get onto the property ladder. So the government introduced a scheme to help first-time buyers buy a property. Uh, it's called the Help to Buy Equity Loan Scheme. You might just know it referred to as Help to Buy Scheme. Uh, basically, what they do is they enable people who haven't quite got enough of a deposit to get the mortgage that they need. Um, so if you've only got 5% of the value, the government will actually lend another 20% or up to 40% if you live in London, to top you up to that magic sort of 25% deposit number that lenders really like to see. What you've got then is you've got you've put your deposit in, and then you've got a loan that you pay no interest on for five years, and then the balance, the other 75%, that's a normal mortgage, so you're going to pay a monthly repayment on that mortgage. After five years, the government will then start to charge you interest on the loan that they've given you. So then you've got to make a decision as to whether you keep that loan or whether you've found some other means to pay it off, whether you were saving whilst you weren't paying any interest on that or whether possibly you've got enough equity in the house now that you could increase the original loan to get rid of that debt. Because the big uh, kicker with the government scheme is they keep the value that they've lent you. So if they've lent 20% of your house value, when you come to sell it, which is when you pay back the government loan, either when you pay off the mortgage or when you sell, they are going to take 20% of whatever your house is worth, not the 20% deposit that they lent you. So if the house value goes up, you're going to pay them back more than you lent them and the interest that you've already paid them. Okay, and what happens if the value is lower than what you purchased it at? Do they reduce the amount they expect back from the loan repayment as well? Yes, they do. Okay. So if you're in the unfortunate position where you've got to sell at a lower value, then you don't get stung with the original loan. So there is a slight advantage, but no one particularly wants to buy a house and then subsequently have to sell it at a loss in the future, do they? No. No. Okay. So that's the help to buy equity loan. Obviously, that's been around now for a few years. I mean, are there any particular rules in terms of what you can and can't buy? Yes, beautiful segue. So one of the criteria on that scheme 
is that you can only buy new build homes. Okay, so we know how much deposit we we need. What? That was Siri. Right. <laughs> okay. Right, so we know how much deposit we need. Yeah, we've got that all mapped out. But then is how do we actually save that deposit up? Being disciplined, automatic savings. Remember, save first, pay next, spend last. So as long as you're making it automatic, you're taking the, the decisions away, you've got to be disciplined because it's not easy, especially when you're starting from scratch. Now, to try and help people, because it's hard, there's no interest on savings at the moment. To try and help people, the government introduced a, a, a scheme called the Help to Buy ISA. Now, we'll cover the general concept of ISAs in, in future shows, but basically an ISA is just a place to save your money in a tax-efficient way. Now, what the government actually does is gives you a bonus. So if you're able to save into your ISA, they will top you up by 25%. Now, there's a maximum that you can put in. It's currently £4,000 a year. But if you put in £4,000, the government will increase that 4000 to 5000 and you get to keep that. The only rules around that are when you do want to take the money out of your ISA, your help to buy ISA, which is its official name, don't confuse it with a normal ISA, is that you either have to spend that on a house purchase, so your first house purchase, or you have to spend it once you're past 60. So it's basically buy a house or use it for retirement. If you want to spend it before then, you can still take the money out, but you then pay a 25% penalty to take it out. And it's not a case of, I got a 25% bonus, you're going to take 25% away and I end up with what I put in. I'm sure you could vouch, Scott, that that's not quite how maths works. You're going to come out with less than you've put in. Correct. So you don't really want to be using that unless you are 100% certain that's going to go towards purchasing a house. Yeah. Exactly. So to your point, so like you said, if you put in, for example, £80, the government give you a 25% uplift, which goes up to £100. But if you then took it out the next day, they take 25% back off you. So they take £25. So you've got 75 left. So yeah, as you can see, you will lose out if you do it that way. So Chris, just quickly then on the how to buy, so do the same rules apply for equity loans? Does it have to be a new build? Yes, did I say new home? Sorry, first home. So you've got to be a first-time buyer. It doesn't have to be a new home. It just has to be your first home in order to benefit from that uplift. Good spot. Well done. Thanks. Okay. (laughs) So obviously saving away or saving, building up a deposit is, is... the most is the default way of doing it but some people i guess can be a bit are a bit more fortuitous in uh how they uh, come about generating or gathering uh, enough money for a deposit yeah i mean you say that saving on your own is the default way i think nowadays there's actually more people that are completely reliant on someone helping them out with some cash yeah. just because of how much things cost but yeah. yeah the bank of mom and dad is the media's favorite term isn't it yeah when it comes to applying for a mortgage, the banks will typically ask, or not typically, they will ask, you know, where where you've sourced the deposit from. You know, if you can justify or say it over how many ever years and it checks out with how much you earn and your excess income, then absolutely, then that's fine. But obviously where it doesn't, you have to declare 
I've received the money from my parents. Now they'll want to know whether that is a gift or a loan because if it's a gift, uh, you know, explicit gift that's been given to you by your parents, there is no, although it's an unlikely event, but there's no way that the parents will can come after you and, and ask for that money back. However, if they've said it and declared it as a loan, the issue here is that the bank therefore recognise the fact you have to repay your parents. So they're going to look less kindly on gifts or, or money given to you by your parents if it's a loan. Um, and they'll typically want, I mean, I've experienced in the past, I've seen if it is a gift, they typically want something in writing from uh, the gift or to confirm it is in fact not a loan. Um, so it's just something to bear in mind that if you are fortunate enough to be in that position, you're probably going to be um, asked further questions about that money. Okay, that's a very good point. So whether we've had it gifted or loaned or whether we've just saved it ourselves, once we've got there, we've then got to go and get a mortgage, right? Would you just do that on your own or... Do you think you need to go and see a mortgage advisor for that? What's the actual benefit of a mortgage advisor? Well, I think a mortgage advisor definitely helps, especially for, or even more so for first-time buyers, because, you know, you'll be inexperienced in this. You won't recognise all the different elements and all the things that can crop up when coming to purchase a home from a, you know, from a financial point of view, but also other things as well that a mortgage advisor can offer you insights on. I do think that, um, mortgage advice uh, having a mortgage advisor is a benefit I mean in the past I think it was you know in, in before before we had the comparison sites uh, and, and accessibility on the websites mortgage advisor typically could get rates that you might you know the individuals directly couldn't get I don't think that is the case as much anymore, personally. You know, you look at rates that you can get from mortgage advisor, they're typically not too dissimilar from what you can get directly or, or through comparison sites. So, uh, I, you know, do should I take a mortgage advisor because they're going to get me a superior rate? I don't think that's going to be the reason why. But should I get a mortgage advisor because they're going to help me properly, you know, get everything, all my ducks in a row and know I've got everything right and I can understand affordability and go through all the rigmaroles that are required from the bank that's what they're for me that's what they're more there for so i think they do of you know good offer good value but it's just understanding that it's for me it's more for those points rather than getting a fantastic deal on, on the mortgage hmm. yeah we talked about credit scores in the past and what you don't want is a load of failed applications because you've not understood the lender's criteria properly the way that a mortgage advisor would and then you've, you've shot yourself in the foot because when you get to the right one they're well no look, your credit rating's terrible we're not going to lend to you exactly it's a really good point yeah it's a really good point because the, the point is the mortgage advisor will have and when i've done it through my mortgage advisor in the past you you know they get you to fill in you know questionnaires and do fact finds to understand your income and expenditure so that they can you know with not complete certainty but with a high level of uh, you know a high level of probability that you'll be offered and accepted for the mortgage that they apply for for on your behalf something that people forget when they're saving up their deposit they look at the house they want they work out you know 10 20 percent of the value of the house but what they don't factor in is the fact that say the house costs you know two hundred thousand pounds they say oh well i'll get my 20 percent deposit so i've got forty thousand pounds saved up but they then need to be able to get a mortgage for the other £160,000. And 
the mortgage is normally restricted to a multiple of your earnings so if it's somewhere it's an average say between four and five percent now if your salary four, five, four and five times four and five times sorry yeah, four, yeah so that's five percent not five five percent you won't get much for mortgage on four or five percent <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, um, four or five times what you earn in a year now if you don't earn you know if when you multiply your salary out by four or five times it doesn't and it doesn't add up to the mortgage that you need it doesn't matter that you've got the deposit that you require because no one's going to lend you the rest to buy the house so that's another important thing that a mortgage advisor will be able to Correct. to help make sure you've got right uh, there are i mean there are other things i've seen people or, or mortgage lend or mortgage providers do which is like i'll ask offer you to have a guarantor so that if you haven't quite got four to five times or sorry if your income is uh, or multiple is more than four or five times your uh, gross salary then they they'll let you uh, have like a parent for example as a guarantor if they've got income then they can guarantee that if the the child can't afford the repayment that they'll be there to, to make payment for them so there are i guess there's new kind of ways and scenarios and 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 offerings that the banks are coming up with so that people can buy you know whichever properties they're looking for but take that aside from a you know whether or not you fit in the criteria of what the bank want it, you've got to look at it from your own perspective and about affordability and do you want to be in a situation where you could have to be reliant on a parent to bail you out because you've taken on a mortgage that's effectively unaffordable one of the things we said we mentioned we'll mention uh, and we have just picked up on again is about that initial deposit so although you do want that initial deposit there are inevitably uh, other costs involved so it's not just a case of reaching that deposit because you'll have um well maybe not at the minute because we have got a stamp duty holiday but there is stamp duty that's that's payable on um most properties once they're worth above one hundred twenty-five thousand pounds there will be inevitably legal fees as um whenever you purchase property a solicitor will be involved um so there'll be conveyancing costs there'll also be typically house you know searches on the property um and and all the all the likes all these uh odds and, odds and sods if you like they just start adding up and um you have to factor in all these additional costs when it comes to trying to uh ascertain how much savings or how much you haven't saved to be able to afford a property all right, so in summary, mortgage advisors, pretty good. Um, and they could be the difference between getting approved or not, especially if you're self-employed or you've got bad credit. So definitely a thumbs up for that one. Yeah. Now, one of the things that they'll help you decide, but we'll just cover off now briefly, is what type of mortgage that you should be considering. So the, the repayment type, the, the vehicle type, there's, there's two really to start with. There's either interest only or capital repayment plus interest so uh, that's what it says on the tin really if you if you've got an interest only mortgage then all you're doing is effectively paying the interest that is accruing on the loan so if you have a loan a mortgage of uh, two hundred thousand pounds you'll be paying the interest such that at the end of year one the loan is still and the mortgage is still two hundred thousand pounds all you've done is effectively pay for the servicing of that mortgage being honest nowadays interest only mortgages they have a really tight you know stringent set of rules for you to be able to be offered one most people will be um, expected and, and 
or typically only offered uh, a capital repayment, which uh, especially for first-time buyers. So capital repayment is, as I said, so, so let's go back to that in, uh, analogy of a £200,000 mortgage. There will be interest accruing on it, but at the end of year one, your £200,000 loan will now be, say, £190,000 because you've paid, say, £10,000 of capital repayment plus some interest repayment as well. So most people, when they go and see a mortgage advisor and, and, and try and get themselves a mortgage, will be um, going down that route. Now, I've been, whether it be interest only or capital repayment, there are um, different uh, types of vehicles. So the first, the first one, the first one, and typically, I'd say is most common. I don't know actually what the split is, but when it comes to the the interest rates set on these mortgages, there are several different terminologies and jargony kind of we've done the collection already chris so you can't do it again uh, you get one per week um so we'll just kind of break down sorry we'll break down the main types so you've got the first the first one is what's called a fixed term so what that means is you'll have a mortgage say it's a 25 year mortgage but although the length of the mortgage is 25 years the interest rate that's payable over uh, a smaller number of years say for example two years or three years or four years is fixed at an interest rate of whatever it is that you manage to secure. After that period of three, two, three, four years, whatever the, the term is for the for the first part of this mortgage, the interest rate will then revert to what is called a standard variable rate. Again, jargony, I know, um, or an or an acronym to SVR. What that means is is it will just go to whatever the bank sets as their standard rate for across all mortgages. Have you not got these in brackets or in hyphen, sorry, special terms? Um, so it's very important that when you first take out your mortgage, you know what the term is because at the end of that term, if you don't do anything, you're going to go on to a far, far higher level of interest rate and you'll see those mortgage repayments jump up significantly. So, I mean, what I do is I set myself a reminder. So once I know that the end of my term is coming up to start either speaking to a mortgage advisor or just having a look around to see kind of what rates I can get to refix to. I mean, one thing I'll say is that banks are obligated to let you know that the period is ending. So it's not you know, if you don't set yourself a reminder like I do, then there, sh- there will be correspondence to let you know. But for me, I always find it's good to have that, um, you know, in my calendar for me so that I can I have enough time to be able to, you know, whether it's speaking to a mortgage advisor or doing whatever I need to do to uh, reapply and refix my mortgage interest rate. So that's fixed term. You can then have, as I said, that's fixed. And sorry, I should have explained what fixed means. What it means is it's fixed at X rate, and it doesn't matter whether the Bank of England interest rate changes during that period. So let's say you've got 2% interest rate for five years. Well, interest rates, UK Bank of England interest rates could be 1%. If they jump up to 5%, then your 2% that you're paying for five years won't change. What will happen is when you get to the end of that five years and you're looking to reapply for a new more, uh, for a new term, you won't get 2% again because interest rates across the UK are now far higher. You're going to get something closer to whatever the Bank of England interest rate is. A shock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, a definite, a likely increase in your monthly repayment. So that's fixed. So the, the second one is um, 
is is called variable. So a bit different to what the standard variable rate is because this is a variable on uh, special terms. So it's a variable amount. So i.e. as interest rates, the, the Bank of England interest rate changes, so does your interest rate on your mortgage. But it's a lot closer aligned to what the Bank of England interest rate is as opposed to the standard variable. So for example, let's say the interest rates or what they are at the minute, say they're 0.1%. The standard variable rate is likely to be five to six percent for banks. A variable mortgage, one of these ones, which is like you know the special terms, that's probably going to be something like I don't know, point you know the Bank of England base rate plus one percent or plus one and a half or whatever it is. It's going to be a lot lower than the standard variable rate. There are several names for these variable rates. Some call them discounted. Some call them um, trackers. They're all the same thing, really. So they're all uh, interest rates that are ch- that change as and when the, the Bank of England's interest rate changes, but they're more preferential than just whatever the standard um, rate is that's set by the bank. So they're the, I guess they're the, they're the two main types. There are, there's also, and it's probably less likely to be um, uh, used by people looking to buy a first-time home, there's also what's called an offset mortgage, which is where... If you've got quite a lot of uh, savings in your in your bank, in addition to once you've paid the deposit off, let's um, so let's say hypothetically you've got a mortgage of two hundred thousand pounds and you've got savings of a hundred thousand pounds. What an offset mortgage does is rather than pay interest on a hundred thousand pounds, sorry, rather than the bank pay interest on a hundred thousand pounds and charge you interest on the two hundred thousand pound mortgage, they'll cancel out the savings against the mortgage so 100,000 of savings 100,000 of the the mortgage amount is not charge interest on just the amount of mortgage in excess of your savings is what you charge interest on as i said it's unlikely that people looking to do a first time buy are going to have an offset mortgage and have sufficient savings that i mean it's a nice obviously a nice scenario to be in but it's more likely they're going to be focused on uh, a capital repayment vehicle and either a fixed term or a variable term to begin with. That's your kind of bread and butter, really, for first-time buyers. Now, one thing going back to what we talked about with loan-to-value, one thing you'll find is is that it's better to have uh, a lower loan-to-value. Two reasons, obviously, because naturally your repayment's going to be lower because there's a it's a smaller it's a smaller loan, but also um, because there is more equity in the you've got more equity in the property. The banks are see you as less of a risk so we'll offer you better rates of interest um so that's why you know the lower as i said the lower the loan to value the better the interest rate you're going to be offered on your mortgage so we're not saying necessarily dive straight in and buy the first house that you can afford if you can wait that little bit longer and save that little bit more then it may work to your advantage down the line yeah of course i mean you know, I guess if you're paying rent, then you know, is that down the drain? How long do you do it? But if you're if you're living with mum and dad and you can save a bit more, then of course every bit, every bit helps. Of course, I mean it's lifestyle choices as well, isn't it? Like you know, we can always say, oh, "I'd be much better if you just hold off for another couple of years and and save a bit more, and you can get a you know better rate of interest or whatever, and, and lower loan repayments or what have you." But you know, we've got our lives to live so you you know if, if you get to a point where you just need to do it rather than you know it's like anything you know there's never an ideal time to purchase your home you never have quite enough you'd always want to save a bit more but 
you know, with all these things, if it's what the aim is, you've just, you know, you've just got us. Just do it. I don't want to sound like Nike, but you just, you just got to go for it, haven't you? You just got to try and get, you know, if you want to get on the property ladder, it, naturally, like anyone, I, I found when I got on the property ladder, I know you're still on your way there trying to get onto there, Chris, but, you know, it is a struggle. You do you do kind of push yourself a little bit more so perhaps than you would like. You you, you naturally have that um, belief in yourself that you'll learn more in the future as well. So you perhaps, that is perhaps one of the reasons why we, do push ourselves a bit more in the early stages, but it is for me. It was about having my own place, having a place I can call my home with you know my wife and uh, and making it our own. Um, you know, it was it was easier, uh, or certainly easier on the pocket living with um, living with parents. But you know, we want our view was to to really want to be able to make it our own, have our own place that we would make that take the plunge and as I said push ourselves a little bit in the early stages but you know as, as I said things things change and hopefully things become easier and you get more used you get more used to it as well I think that's the hard thing isn't it going from especially if you go from um living with mum and dad where you're probably paying an arbitrary or token amount of, of rent compared to paying <laughs> a proper mortgage it's that change because you've gone from and probably just not just that as well is it Chris you know I mean I'm not saying I, obviously I did give a mum uh, money for groceries and stuff, but obviously far less than what my proportioned spending was. Yeah, so, you weren't paying our council tax, were you? <laughs> no, wasn't paying the broadband. There's all these things that I was making use of and not uh, contributing as as nowhere near as, as as much as I would as was using. So, yeah, all of, again, all of these things in terms of costings, it's one of the going back to the mortgage advisor question. It's one of the things that the mortgage advisor will properly go through with you in terms of working out affordability, not just of the mortgage, but also all the other ongoing costs there are to upkeep your property nice Oof. that was a marathon wasn't it we made it we made it. okay i think that's a pretty good place to call it a day on first purchases for now mm-hmm. um i think if there's anything that someone was sitting tentatively waiting for us to cover but we haven't covered just send us an email um, if you're worried about it, there's a good chance someone else is worried about it. So we'll cover it off on a future show. Um, absolutely no problem. Um, but we can't keep you here forever. So I think that's us for this week. <laughs> it's probably worth uh, telling people what the email address is, though, Chris, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're so good. You're so on topic and on brand, aren't you? Thanks. Thanks. Pretty refined at this now. Uh, <laughs> the email address, if you want to get in touch, is show at cashgirlspodcast.com if you haven't yet left us a review on uh, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts it would be really good if you could just give us a couple of minutes of your time to leave a review tell us how fabulous we are but don't moan about how long it is between shows because we promise we're going to be better uh. <laughs> <laughs> well done okay so alright Chris are you making a promise therefore the next episode is not going to be uh, a long, as long a wait as as uh, the last one it won't be as long a wait and i'm pretty sure it won't be as long in duration either on that positive note it's goodbye from me all right thanks <laughs>